Hey y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast brought to you by Go Wild, the new social media app made for hunters, by hunters, and anglers, by the way. Uh, if you're tired of the hate that we experience on a regular basis on the normal social media platforms, then check out Go Wild. And here's something cool also. You can log time that you've invested listening to outdoor podcasts or hunting or fishing shows, and you can do that for my show right now. We're offering up, uh, we've partnered with Go Wild. We've got five Lone Star Beer camo dub seat coolers, and also we've got a great grand prize as well, which is a DS4K trail camera from Stealth Cam, the best trail camera on the market, and 100 bucks to the Go Wild store. It's free. All you have to do, log some time. Say that you've listened to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Do it on the Go Wild app, and you could be a winner. Check it out. Go Wild. Climb aboard the bus, grab your bump. One on the bottom is one you want. Let's rock and roll as you roll down the road. Plug John Wayne in a VCR. Let the driver tell you where you are. Life on the road. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith, welcome in everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Man. It is great to be here talking outdoors with you fine folks today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors as well. We've got a lot to get into today. Man, I tell you what, <laughs> I cannot believe that we are in August and that dub season is less than a month away. And if dub season is here, that means archery elk is here as well. Two of my favorite things. So I'm going to go dove hunting September 1st, and then I'm going to plant my behind in the front seat of my truck and head west to New Mexico for an archery elk hunt. Whew. I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about those bugles. <laughs> Man, it is a great time to be alive in the great outdoors. That is for sure. And we've got a great episode of the Lone Star Outdoors show lined up for you today. So get ready to rock and roll. We're going to talk hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we've got to get down to business, and we're going to kick things off by talking monster bull reds with my good friend Josh Gunther of Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. He's also a captain now. Huh, fancy that. Jack of all trades, master of quite a few as well. Uh, but I recently went down to Port O'Connor, Texas, to chase these monster bull reds with Josh, and it did not disappoint. And I never fished uh, like really deep for big redfish. Man, talk about a lot of fun and a sporty kind of fishing that will wear your ass out. Because <laughs> at a pound an inch, if you're catching 42, 43 inch redfish, you're in for a pretty good fight. Uh, so we will discuss how we caught them where Josh finds them, and what months of the year are his favorite to pursue these deep water redfish? Because these are not the tide runners, and these are not these are not the fish you're going to find waiting the flats of the Laguna Madre. I guarantee you that. So Josh will be here. We're going to talk uh, big bull redfish here in just a little bit, and then I'm going to dedicate the rest of the show to something that I've been following very closely, something that really ticked me off when I first heard about it. Uh, there's obviously going to be a grizzly bear hunt in Wyoming this fall. It's the first grizzly hunt 
in the lower 48 in 44 years. Uh, the grizzly bear was uh, put on the endangered species list in the mid-70s. We all know that. And it should have been. There was like 170-something of them left. Well, they are recovered as deemed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And there will be a hunt. So the fact that non-hunters are putting in for these tags in an attempt to thwart sustainable use hunting really puts a burr under my saddle. And the fact that at least one and maybe more of the 22 total names that were drawn are of the anti-hunting ilk. And I'm specifically talking about photographer, renowned wildlife, I mean, world-famous wildlife photographer, Tom Mangelson. And uh, Tom will be here. He's going to spend a couple segments with us today talking about why he believes there shouldn't be a grizzly hunt and what he plans to do with that tag and those 10 days that he'll be awarded in Wyoming's backcountry uh, to pursue grizzly bear. So, hmm, interesting, right? And I, I'm not going to go into it in any more detail right now because after our interview, I am going to play some clips that I have specifically flagged, ones that really, I mean, the whole thing rubs me the wrong way, but there are some certain comments, some certain things that he actually believes in. And I say Tom, and I'm, I'm going to beat up on Tom today, but it's not Tom. It's it's that whole faction of people, celebrities like Jane Goodall coming out of the woodworks, people starting GoFundMe campaigns so that anti-hunters can apply for these grizzly tags, which the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service deemed necessary to control a population that reached carrying capacity. So the whole thing gives me tired head and, and just blows me away that so many people can't grasp how conservation really works. So at the bottom of the hour, I will go back and I will dissect some of the most, well, let's just, I don't want to say infuriating, but some of the comments that really irked me the most in a series of comments that I just don't understand. And uh, we'll explain anyway. We'll explain all that coming up here in just a little bit. But that's what's on the show for today. A uh, couple other things. Don't forget the Texas Trophy Hunter Extravaganza is going on in Houston this weekend. And I've got uh, tickets, VIP passes to next week's extravaganza in Fort Worth, Texas. And I've also got a Texas Trophy Hunter Show Your Skull t-shirt. All you need to do to enter to win this prize pack, that's two VIP tickets to the extravaganza of your choice. You can go to Fort Worth next week or San Antonio the week after and a uh, TTHA Show Your Skull t-shirt. Just email in the word trophy to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. That's trophy to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. I'm a proud trophy hunter. I'm not going to lie. I love it. I mean, I, I eat the meat and I throw the horns on my wall. That's what I do. And I'm not going to apologize for it. And neither should you. So trophy to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. We are short on time today because we've got a lot to get into. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll head down to the coast and chase monster bull reds with Captain Josh Gunther. Only on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, the sheriff never came calling, and no judge ever gave a damn. Turns out no one gonna miss a dog in a coward man. 
Cable here for isocialboost.com, a tool that many outdoor enthusiasts are using to grow their Instagram audiences. And if you're growing your Instagram audience, you're growing your brand. I recently let isocialboost.com take over a new page I created, and the growth has been incredible. iSocialBoost can help you expand your audience to heights you never imagined. Plus, you'll save 80%, that's right, 80% off your first week if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com. These are real followers who engage on a regular basis. Check it out, iSocialBoost.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts, just 30 minutes south of DFW. If you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, you need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Well, me, I'm doing fine with my third pound test line. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep the sand out of my beard. Well, the redfish seem happy here like they ain't got a thing to fear. Washing down with that's called beer. They don't seem to mind. That's a great tune there. Waste some time from Trey Clark bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. I mean, seriously, who doesn't like washing fresh redfish on the half shell down with an ice cold beer, which is what that song's about. Uh, great tune there. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today as man, we are actually about to talk some big, big bull reds with our buddy and captain, Josh Gunther. I had the pleasure of fishing with Josh, uh, probably been about a month ago now or so, uh, but before we discuss some of those giant reds that we got into and and how we caught them because uh it's not your typical wade fish and really i think there's three good ways to catch big bulls from the jetties off of a boat in deep water or if they're in the surf um you can hammer them in there but we actually were on josh's boat and i tell you what man 
it was nonstop. I mean, my, my arms were tired of reeling in 40 plus pound redfish. So we're going to get into that here in just a second. But before we do that, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd personally like to see you get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To do so, head on over to biggame.org and check us out. Okay, uh, well, let's go ahead and bring Josh on. Some of y'all have heard Josh on the show over the years. Him and his wife, Becky, are my good friends. They're my longtime taxidermists over at Rustic Reminders. And Josh is also a lifelong saltwater angler and recently got his captain's license. Uh, so without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome our good friend, Josh Gunther, back to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk a little fishing today. Um, starting with Port O'Connor, this is a, a sleepy little coastal town. And I know you've been going there, gosh, it seems like you've been going there pretty much your whole life. Uh, just about a long time, but it's not the sleepy little coastal town it used to be. Yeah, I figured you were going to say that. How has it changed over the years? Well, it's just getting busier and busier. More people are finding out about it. and uh, I mean, weekends during the summer are crazy down there. It's, uh, it's getting really crowded. Yeah. Compared to, you know, places like Port Aransas and uh, Corpus, though, it's it still has a a little bit of that small town coastal feel to it. Yes, sir. Um, so you recently got your captain's license, Josh. What talk about what all that entails? Because I, I honestly have no idea. I know you had to take a, a course. It was a one week course, and um, they cover. They try to throw everything in the one week, and uh, I haven't done a whole lot of schooling in my lifetime. But it was not the easiest class I've ever taken for sure. <laughs> right. Do saltwater fishing guides legally need a captain's license? That's correct. If you're taking people for hire on a boat, you have to have one. Is that is that for freshwater too? Yes, sir. Okay. I didn't even know that. Uh, so you got your captain's license. Um, and I know, you've, like you said, you've been fishing there for a long, long time. What, what makes Port O'Connor such a great fishery? Well, I really don't know. Um, but uh, some of the best fishing I've ever done. I mean, I've fished a lot in Baffin. I've fished around Rockport a little bit. And um, as far as, uh, especially like the big fish, the bull reds and the jacks and stuff like that, boy, Port O'Connor's the place for them. If you want to catch a redfish over 40 inches, it's definitely the place to go. Yeah. Well, even the, the redfish tournaments out of like uh, Corpus and Fort A, I, I know a lot of those guys don't even fish around there. They go, they might trailer their boat two hours and put in somewhere else. So I don't right. know. Maybe, maybe they're heading to Port O'Connor. <laughs> most, most of those redfish tournaments, too, they, they've got to be slot fish. So they're they're targeting the closest to 28 that they can possibly get. Uh-huh. Uh, not the oversized stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's what's so interesting about these huge, these these monster bull reds, um, is you fish for them pretty deep. These aren't the, the kind of fish that you're going to run into while you're wading the flats. This is true. For the most part, they're normally pretty deep, but uh, when they're feeding on the surface out there, I mean, you catch them on topwater rollers, too. Mm-hmm. I see people fly fishing for them out there when they're boiling on the surface. Yeah. So how important are the birds to to telling you, you know, where you should be fishing? 
birds are always a good sign for any type of fishing. I mean, if uh, if the birds are working on the surface, there's something pushing that bait up there 90% of the time. So uh, birds are always a good sign, and they, they definitely help to find the fish. Well, you've been sending me pictures of, of these giant redfish for years, and you keep telling me, get down here, you need to get on these on these big bulls. And I finally did it. Uh, so we went, I guess it was, well, maybe three or four weeks ago. Yes, sir. And uh, first we went and caught bait. And when I say like we caught bait, we didn't like throw a casting net out and, and catch some minnows. We actually, you know, used live shrimp to catch a bigger fish and then use that to catch the redfish. So mm-hmm. that was cool. What is the uh, preferred bait for uh, for big bull reds? Them big bull reds and rack silly, just about anything you throw at them. <laughs> but uh, whiting works really good, live or cut. Um, ribbon fish work good. Sardines, Middenhaden, they all work good. Uh, they're not real picky fish. And do they prefer live over dead, or just doesn't even matter? I don't think it matters. It's just like uh, garbage disposals down there. Yep, mullet's another real good bait for those poor reds. So we went out, caught some bait. And then headed to uh, to the honey hole, and this is you know a real sporty fishing uh, type of fishing uh, because these things wear you out, man. They're, you, right. you said that they estimate a pound per inch, and if you're catching that's, a forty, good. yeah, yeah, if you're catching a forty-three inch redfish, I mean, you do the math. It's uh, right. Uh, they tug on that line pretty good, um, and you know when they hit it, it's not like a so, you know. Yeah, they generally don't bite. It's just uh, goes from uh, sitting there doing nothing to pulling like hell. Yeah. Well, so when we were actually out in the bay fishing, what depth were we? Yeah, I know because we we pretty much had the I mean, we had the bait right on the bottom. Right. Um, the hole we were sitting in uh, right there, somewhere around the forty to fifty, 50 forty to fifty foot mark. Mm-hmm. And so, is there some kind of structure down there that that these fish are relating to? No structure. So are those fish, are these big bulls, are they there year-round? Uh, yes and no. Uh, primary months are uh, anytime during the summer. October is really good, the, the fall. Um, spring, they're hit and miss. Uh, sometimes we'll get them in there, sometimes they're not. I think they're always there. It's just they get a lot more scattered. Uh-huh. They're harder to find. And it could be because late winter and early spring i'm really busy and i don't do a lot of fishing now so it's harder for me to keep up with with where they're at yeah right on so i know you've been fishing there forever but as far as having the knowledge to you know become a licensed guide i mean who taught you was there some old timer that you know you you learned from or there's another guy down there that uh, i I learned to fish from and uh, he taught me everything i know so, and, uh, so did you work for him or just go fishing no, with him? No, I, I never worked for him. I just fished with him. And uh, he taught me everything I know. And, uh, I mean, if, if he's not catching fish, there's nobody catching fish. <laughs> right. Right on. Right on. Okay. Uh, something else about these redfish, uh, these oversized huge bulls. I mean, you really don't want to keep them and eat them. Uh, right. They get, they get worms and they got a, a lot of parasites. Uh, but they're they're our, they're our breed stock. Yeah. Um. The uh, I used to keep them only for mounts. Now we strictly do replicas instead of skin mounts. Um. I won't even I won't keep one. I I re-release all of them unless one hurt and uh, isn't going to make it. Then we might play one. But that's a very rare occasion. 
So, and and they, not only do they have the worms, they have external parasites too. Those little like uh, sea lice. Sea lice, yes, sir. Which were getting all, you know on the the deck of the boat there. Right. Um, but yeah, man, it was a uh, like I said, it was real sporty. Uh, like the the catch and release aspect of of letting the breed stock go. Not that I would have kept. Uh, I, I guess legally you can. You you get a tag on your when you buy your yeah, Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, you get license. one tag. Yeah. Uh, one tag, and then you can actually trade that tag in for one more. Right. Uh, so you can actually keep two a year, and uh, we will use our tags, but we'll use them on a fish that's barely over the slot, a fish that's still good to eat, uh, 29, 30 inches. Uh, we'll use our tags periodically on, on something like that, but when you get up over 32, 34 inches, we, we release all those fish. Yeah. Well, going back to the worms, one of my buddies brought me back some halibut from Alaska. Gosh, uh, Jeff, I guess that was oh maybe a couple months ago, and I was cooking it the other night, and in like the thickest part of the fillet, I noticed that there were some like one and a half inch pink worms in there, and I was like, ugh. I know they're cooked. <laughs> probably I didn't say anything. I saw them first in my wife's piece of fish. I didn't say anything to her. I just was like, oh, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and. Just take this now. <laughs> so. right. and, I mean, the trout that we're catching down there uh, right now uh, all have some worms in the fillets also. Uh, I was told it's due to the warm water. Once the water cools down, uh, they'll leave. And I've been told they're harmless. But I've never talked to a biologist about it. Um, that's something I'd like to learn more about. Because uh, the black drum we catch will have worms in them. The uh, trout, occasional redfish will have worms in them. Uh, one fish that I've I've only seen worms in one time is a gaff top. Mm. <laughs> Most people won't keep them, but uh, very rarely have I ever seen worms in them. I'm guessing because they're normally in the deeper water where it's cooler. But yeah. I don't know. Huh. Well, I, yeah, I think if they're cooked, they're not going to hurt you. But it's like one of those deals where the visual part. Can you get over that? I'm mean, like, if I've cleaned ducks that have rice breasts before. I'm not eating them, you know? Right. <laughs> you can. Yeah. I generally try to cut the worm parts out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, just the thought of it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not putting that in my in my body. Right. Uh, but I guess if you wash it down with enough Lone Star beer, it doesn't really matter anyway. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, okay. So what kind of tackle do you need for a 40-pound redfish? We use just the medium, the medium-sized tackle uh, stuff that you would use for the surf. Maybe not the long surf rod, but the little bit heavier poles. Uh, and 25, 30-pound test, 50-pound liters, ought to get it done. And how often do these do you get cut off by sharks? Oh, we do lose a lot of liters to sharks because we do use mono on them when we're fishing for the reds. Um, and them sharks get it, and they can get through it quite a bit. I'd say we lose two or three liters a day. Just hmm. small sharks, some big sharks. Uh, yeah. But when we go shark fishing, that's a whole other setup. So. Which okay, so that that was the tackle that we used. I guess we fished uh, the night one night, and then one morning, and. Well, if I remember right, we fished for sharks that first afternoon and just caught reds on those rigs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. What is it about shark fishing that uh, appeals so much to you? Uh, I like I like going after the big fish. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love weight fishing for trout and, and plot reds, but uh, I love hearing those big reels, clickers go off, and uh, 
seeing them big rods bend over. <laughs> All right. And so you you book um, as far as your guide service goes. Are you booking for all different types of trips? Um, primarily the big stuff. Basically, I'm an opportunist guide. Uh, I fished all week this past week. We caught limits of trout and slot reds in the surf. Uh, we caught kingfish in the jetties, and then we caught some bull reds also. So it basically, uh, I mean, if you tell me I only want bull reds, and that's what we're going to target. But uh, if you just want to catch fish, then we're going to go after whatever's around and whatever's biting. And right now, the trout fishing in the surf's been hot, so... We've been going and tearing up the trout. But one evening we got in the trout and reds. We caught our limit in reds and almost limited out in trout. Um, King of the Blue Water's been in. Kingfish bite. Uh, inshore has been great. I mean, we're catching them in the jetties and in the bay. We're not having anything to go offshore for them. Um, they're fun to catch. We troll for them. Uh, tarpon are in the jetties right now. A buddy of mine caught a monster tarpon this morning. Hmm. Um, so Nice. Uh, basically, it's... I'm an opportunist fisherman. I mean, I want my people to catch fish. Uh, I'd hate to go blow a whole day on a redfish and not catch one when there's tons of kingfish in the jetties. Generally, when that clear water comes in, the redfish are a lot harder to find and get. They don't like that clear water. Hmm. So uh, right now, it would not be a good time to target bull reds. The wind picks up and we get some dirtier water, and then the redfish bite will be a lot better. Okay. What is, like, when you're going after those the big bulls, what is, like, the biggest one that, that you're going to get as far as inches go? Because we, we caught some 43s, 44s. I don't know. How much bigger than that do they get? The the biggest one that we landed on my boat was 49 and a half. Wow. Uh, and my brother caught him, and it was a fat fish, too. <laughs> um, but that 41 to 46 is pretty average. Okay. 49 inch. I know a guy who could probably make a nice replica. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. I think it's never funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a guy. Um, something that was interesting. When we were fishing for bait, actually, we kept catching hardheads. And, you know, I was like, well, shoot, throw those nasty things back. Yeah. And you're like, shoot, no. this That's some of the best eating fish there is. Say that you I, mean a gaff top? Yeah, sorry. Gaff top. Gaff top, yeah. Hardheads uh, are disgusting. Uh, uh, yeah, don't get me mixed up with that. I don't eat hardheads. <laughs> <laughs> but gaff top still, I never, you know. I just don't know anyone that eats the saltwater catfish species until now. And uh, you actually flayed them for me. I brought them home. My God, phenomenal. Gaftop is, I, I, I compare Gaftop with flounder, and there's a lot of people out there that might argue that. But if you fillet that Gaftop and you shave that, that red meat off that outside of that fillet, you get, I mean, it's a beautiful white fillet. And uh, I need a Gaftop over trout any day of the week. Well, I, I'd have to say it definitely would give trout a run for the money. So right. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, opened my eyes to the to the gaff top. As the gaff far as, top, I mean, if somebody's wanting to fill the freezer, I mean, it ain't nothing to go out and catch 30 or 40 gaff top. You can go home with a pile of slaves. Right on. Well, Josh, if somebody uh, out there listening wants to get a hold of you, go uh, catch one of these monster bull reds that will wear your arms out. Uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, just give me a call, it's 210-279-5721. Well, Josh, my friend, always great visiting with you. I look forward to our next adventure, whether that's uh, in Africa, on the coast, chasing big redfish, or just grabbing a beer after one of these upcoming Texas Trophy Hunter shows. All right, thanks.
Our good friend, Captain Josh Gunther. Uh, of course, Josh and his wife, Becky, have Rustic Reminders Taxidermy, and they've got studios in San Antonio and Marion, Texas. So check them out for your next trophy mount. And you can find them at gr8mounts.com. Well, up next, a real treat for you guys. Uh, we've got Tom Mangelson. He is the photographer who won or actually drew one of the coveted Wyoming grizzly bear tags. It'll be the first uh, grizzly bear hunt in the lower 48 in over 40 years taking place this fall. But uh, Tom put in for a different reason as he is not going to kill a bear. He's actually put in just to try and save a grizzly bear. Uh, so interesting stuff as I try to get inside the mind of, I don't know if Tom's an anti-hunter, a non-hunter, or just uh, a grizzly enthusiast, but we'll figure it out next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor well, Show. Excuse me if I break my own heart tonight Some things are born too strong Have to learn how to fight the Granddaddy of All Hunting Shows returns to Houston. The 2018 Hunters Extravaganza, August 3rd through the 5th at the NRG Center. Meet Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson and Michael Waddell and T-Bone from Bone Collectors. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge live alligators and the best bucks taken in our annual deer competition. Check out the latest gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. The 2018 Hunters Extravaganza, August 3rd through the 5th at the NRG Center. Get your tickets now at Hunter'sExtravaganza.com. Hey guys, Cable here, and I need to tell you about the Go Wild app. If you've experienced any kind of hatred on social media from anti-hunters, from tree huggers, and the like, then check out the growing Go Wild community. It's free. It's available for both iPhones and Android. It's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories, recipes, and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app, available for both iPhones, and Androids. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. Howdy folks, this is Ann Watson, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show with my buddy Cable Smith. The silver waves Shining in the sunlight All right, that's a good friend, Mr. Aaron Watson, Silver Wings, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. 
Um, I've got, a, got an interesting topic to get into here as we step inside the mind of, well, I, I don't know if, if uh, he's a non-hunter, like I said earlier, an anti-hunter or just a bear advocate. But Tom Mangelson is a renowned wildlife photographer, and, and he recently, actually this past week, made headlines by drawing one of the coveted Wyoming grizzly bear tags uh, as Wyoming will host the first grizzly hunt in the lower 48 in 44 years. So Tom put in for this, as well as I, I think a host of other anti-hunters uh, or non-hunters, in hopes of drawing one of these tags so that hunters couldn't harvest the bear. Well, by uh, some chance of luck, Tom actually was awarded one of the tags. Um, and he came out publicly and said that he will not be hunting. He will be pursuing these grizzlies with a camera. Why is that significant? Um, because he has 10 days to harvest a bear. And when his 10 days are up, the next hunter gets to go into that specific unit. And uh, in the season, I believe, is, I think it's about eight or ten weeks. I think it's September through November, if I'm correct there. Uh, but his plan is to take the full ten days so that no one else can harvest a bear during that time and uh, photograph. So, with that being said, uh, Tom did agree to come on the show and uh, and... Well, uh, I'll be fair. I'm not going to beat him up. I'm going to let Tom give us his thoughts. And then after our discussion, I will give you my take on uh, what he said. Because if the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has stated that we have a surplus of grizzly bears and that they've exceeded their carrying capacity, I tend to believe the wildlife biologist and think that, yeah, sustainable use hunting is the key. That funds conservation. Uh, what doesn't fund conservation, as we all know, are animal rights activists and anti-hunting organizations. That is the damn truth. And I don't care who tells you anything different. They are flat out wrong. Uh, this segment of the presentation will be brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, available uh, this coming season in a brand new Lone Star camo can. Y'all be on the lookout for that. And they've partnered with Texas Trophy Hunters. Uh, for the 2018 hunting season. So that should be on shelves, hopefully, before the September 1st dove opener. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and bring him on right now. He's a world-renowned wildlife photographer. He spent a lot of time with big predators, bears, lions in Africa, you name it. It's my pleasure to welcome Tom Mangelson to the show. My pleasure. You're welcome. Uh, well, congrats on drawing one of the coveted Wyoming grizzly bear tags. Over 7,000 people applied for the 22 total tags for what will be the, the lower 48's first grizzly hunt in, I think, 44 years now. So uh, the odds weren't great, but you drew one of the tags. Well, I have a neighbor that's the uh, geophysicist of Yellowstone, and he's one of the most notable uh, Yellowstone authorities. And I asked him the other night when I got the I got drawn. I said, what are my chances of getting drawn? He said, well, he put, he put into his calculator, because obviously he's a statistician, and he says 0. .001 chance of you getting a drawn a ticket and, and or tag. And then he said, Yellowstone blowing is 0. .0001. So you actually had a 10% better chance 
than Yellowstone blowing. So I kind of put it in perspective. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I think the the application cost five bucks, and uh, once you drew the the right to buy the tag, I think it cost six hundred dollars. So, do you plan on buying that tag as well? Yes, of course. Okay, but you, you don't plan on carrying a gun on this experience. Uh, no, I'm going to uh, carry carry a camera and uh, hopefully get some photographs. And there's no, you know, it's. Uh, uh, the tags were for hunting, hunting grizzly bears, but it didn't say whether you had to have a gun or not. So, yeah, bears with the camera instead. That's what I do. Right, right. Yeah, it's very well known wildlife photographer. Um, and you know, it was funny. I I saw some stuff like even people like uh, some celebrities created a some kind of slogan: "Don't shoot him with a gun, shoot him with a camera." And I think a lot of non-hunters ended up replying for yeah. the tag. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people applied that that I know, including Jane Goodall, who's a friend of mine, and, and Cynthia Moss, who's a well-known elephant researcher in Africa, was visiting, and she heard about it, and she said, "I'm going to apply for a for a tag." And obviously, neither one of them were, were interested in hunting, killing grizzly bears, because they realize that they're such magnificent animals, that, like chimpanzees and elephants that they study. Mm-hmm. Well, so you've made a decent living photographing bears and other big game animals over the years. I mean, you have eight galleries across the United States and have been on, you know, featured on 60 Minutes. You have uh, films out there, um, and uh, it, you've been around these bears for a long time. Yeah, I've I've been photographing bears and watching bears, observing bears for most of my adult life, uh, probably for 50 years now or more. And I've learned a lot about them, and I've gotten a lot of joy out of watching them, and especially uh, them bringing up their cubs and up to uh, sub adulthood and adulthood, and and one particular family that uh, I became attached to in Teton Park, and just ten miles from my house, uh, I first uh, saw her uh, uh, in the park in 2007 with uh, her first. Um, this first grizzly bear in Teton Park for 50 years, more or less. You know, hmm. you can't know that anybody sort of documented or saw. But, you know, they've been absent for, from Teton Park for 50 years, and all of a sudden they, you know, one showed up, one particular one showed up, and that was uh, tagged by the game fish uh, as number 399, and that's the number they give them in, in the research. So she became named 399, and when my uh, partner Sue and I uh, saw her in 2007. Uh, they, she had brand new cubs, triplets, and then you know, that might not see her again. But then the next year we saw her in the springtime, and and uh, she was near the road eating grass, and she had these three beautiful yearlings at that point, and she was very um, tolerant of people, and the theory is she felt better along the roads or more safe along the roads with people than she did in the back country with uh, males that might kill her cubs and then uh, put her into estrus and then he would breed with, with her. And that's kind of a common thing with, with bears to um, you know pass on their own genes, just like lions and mm-hmm. other animals do. So first time in 50 they, years they were in Teton Park. and uh, So clearly expanding their range. Yeah, they're, you know, 
like nobody knows exactly where she came from, but um, you know they got down to like 136 bears in in Yellowstone area. Uh, so in 1975, they put them on the endangered species list, and they the bears quote you know to recover them, and, and uh, by putting them on the endangered species list, they did did a lot of things to you know protect the bears and you know have bear-proof garbage cans and educate people about bear, uh, being bear-aware, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now there are about 700 in the area. and But that's still kind of a, a very small, in my opinion, number of bears for the amount of habitat that, that they could be in. And, you know, uh, not all so many years ago, we had 50,000 bears across the U.S., and, you know, 1800s. So we've exterminated um, them down to, um, you know, 100, well, 1500, say, in the lower 48. There's obviously more in Alaska, but. Yeah. Uh, I saw one in, it, I it, saw a couple in Montana this year while uh, I was up there, which was cool. Which, yeah. Uh, well, it's up around great. Kalispell. Neat. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I spent 10 years following this period, and we did a Todd Wilkinson, who's a known journalist, he and I collaborated on this a book called Grizzlies at Pilgrim Creek, especially uh, most of it was about this, this famous female 399, and she's had three sets of triplets. She's 22 years old now, and uh, and her offspring have also had cubs. Uh-huh. And half of, them, half of them have all died from human-caused mortality, from getting hit by cars to getting shot by, you know, Hunters are poached and in removal by the game and fish department if they, you know, maybe eat a cow or something. Well, that would be a poacher, not a hunter, because we haven't had a, a grizzly hunt in 44 years. No, he shot one of the cubs that were out of the, uh, not far out of the park. He was in the forest service, and they had a black bear season that was open, and elk season that was open, and, and the hunter hunter came over the hill and saw three nine nine five year old cub uh, feeding on a uh, moose carcass and she raised up on all fours and and she didn't charge him or anything and he, he shot her in the chest and killed her and and her sister had cubs that next year which means she probably would have had cubs next year so hmm. he, he he just claimed self-defense but then he the same thing's going to happen with this bear hunter proposing is their females are going to get shot and and in area seven which is a little bit further from the parks uh, you can shoot uh, theoretically eleven females. You can't shoot females with obvious cubs, but a lot of times the cubs aren't obvious. They're in, you know they might be hundred yards from the mom dinking around, especially if they're yearlings or or two year olds. So uh, that's a real crime to be you know. There's going to be orphan cubs, and there's nothing to be done with them. They're not going to survive. Well, I, I did read they have to like if you were to hunt. I think you'd have to take like a education cl- a course hosted by Wyoming Fishing Game maybe on uh, on the grizzly idea. I think is what it was. Yeah, well, it, you know the education course on, on identifying grizzlies and black bears. Uh, one of their own bear biologists and um, carnivore biologists shot a grizzly bear about four years ago. Uh, thinking that it was a black bear. So if a bear biologist can't tell the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear in their own department and one that's a bear biologist, there's no way in hell they're going to train somebody that's a layman uh, from, say, Nebraska, like where my state is, or Texas or New Jersey, uh, the difference in 
they're not going to be able. Hunters aren't going to wait and see if they're you know a female has uh, cubs or not if, if they're not right next to her. And I can't tell the difference uh, uh, cable from a, a, a female from a, a male after all the thousands of bears I've seen and watched and all these years that I've watched them from Alaska to British Columbia to Montana to Yellowstone and Teton Park. You know, at some distance, you, there's just it's really difficult to tell a male from a female unless the female has cubs at her side, and so it, it's just impossible. Mm. And yeah, I challenge anybody. If it's a huge bear with you know torn ears and all scarred up, yes, it's probably a male, and the scars are from fighting over you know for the right to breed. And but you get uh, you, uh, you know younger bears, male, female. It's, there's no no way you can really tell them apart. You see them urinate well, yeah, but you know they don't urinate that often, and um, and nobody again is going to wait around and see if the bear urinates to sex it. If they're out there hunting and this is their chance of a lifetime to kill a grizzly bear, they're going to pop it. You know they're going to look and see if there's any cubs around, and you know uh, the bear's going over the hill and they're going to shoot it, and then pretty soon the, the cubs will come out of the out of the woods looking for mom, and that's going to be a very common thing. The area that I applied for, and there were the 7,000 applicants, which is one through six, if they do shoot a female, uh, the season will close. That's a limit of 11. If they don't shoot a female, then they could shoot up to 11 bears, and then area seven, they can shoot 11 females. So uh, I think that that they have no uh, sub-quota in area seven for females, it's pretty pathetic. Well, Tom, it's certainly interesting, you know, trying to understand where you're coming from on uh, this situation. You've spent a lot of time with these bears, and uh, it seems like you even want to humanize them a little bit. But we do need to take a quick break. So are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Sure. Thank you. Absolutely. And that segment was brought to you by Horizon Firearms. You guys know I've taken that thing all over the world. And it doesn't matter uh, if I'm hunting black bear or kudu or something as small as a steenbuck. When I pull the trigger, something dies. And they die cleanly and quickly. Hell, I'd let Tom borrow that 7 mag uh, if he wanted to uh, take it on his grizzly hunt. <laughs> we could talk him into it. Anyway, for your next custom rifle build, go to horizonfirearms.com. They've taken great care of me. They'll do the same for you. Horizonfirearms.com. We'll be right back with more from photographer and uh, adamant grizzly bear hunt opponent, Tom Mengelson, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. 
Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey y'all, this is Jason Bowen and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Two to four don't seem like much till you're stuck in eight by ten. He felt guilty damn near all his life, but much more now than them. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, shot full of holes, our very own Jason Boland. Bringing us back from break, uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today. Thanks to uh, Dallas Safari Club, our longtime title sponsor, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We appreciate their support. And we're rocking and rolling today. I tell you what, uh, interesting conversation that we're in the middle of here with uh, renowned wildlife photographer Tom uh, Mangelson. But before we jump back into the Wyoming grizzly hunt that is slated to take place this fall, uh, to which Tom actually has access to a tag. He's number eight on the list of 10 hunters in his unit. Uh, They each get 10 days in the field if they tag out. He goes on to the next person. Uh, But Tom will not be hunting. He will be photographing, actually uh, put in for this hunt in direct opposition of what the hunt was supposed to be about. As He made it very clear he never intended to hunt. He's adamantly opposed to this grizzly hunt. And so uh, I'm trying to go inside the mind of of a, an anti-hunter or a non-hunter um, who doesn't understand sustainable use hunting. And uh, I think it's important to, and, and trust me, Tom is a very smart man, it, very intelligent. He's made more money selling his photographs uh, than I will ever make in a lifetime. He's got eight galleries spread across much of the United States and has uh, done very well for himself. So he's a bright guy, uh, but he has this disconnect on uh, how sustainable use hunting works. And a lot of people do, especially when it comes to big predators. Now, why that is, I don't understand, because to me, they're just another animal. Once their population is stable, they need to be managed just like the prey sources uh, that they depend on. So it's uh, a phenomenon that is totally lost on me. I don't get it. And that's why we are uh, having Tom on to discuss where he's coming from. Maybe he'll uh, help us understand. Highly doubt it because, uh, you know, we know what's true and what isn't. Uh, But it's important to know where the other side is coming from. and, And that's what we're doing today. Before we jump back into it with Tom, though, this segment of the show brought to you by the new Catalyst soft shell jacket from first light versatility is why i love it so much because whether you know you're hunting backcountry elk in early september and you need it for the cool mornings and cool evenings or you're sitting in a tree stand in late october uh the uh the catalyst has you covered you can find it by going to firstlight.com first light go further stay longer all right, so, well, let's pick it back up here with uh, photographer Tom Mangelson, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. Certainly appreciate that, Tom. With that being said, Tom, help me understand why you're so opposed uh, to the grizzly hunt, because I know you actually grew up uh, with a strong hunting background. Yes, I grew up in Nebraska hunting ducks, geese, pheasants, and 
grouse and things, and we, my family basically lived a lot on, on wild game meat and enjoyed it, enjoyed the sport. And my father was a great sportsman, and I, I was um, a rabbit hunter. I even won the Nebraska Junior State Duck Calling Championship and the World Championship uh, Goose Calling twice. So, you know, put in perspective, I, I come from a, a, a long line of uh, hunting and sportsmen, and I hate to see what's happening to the the you know the tradition of sport hunting when things like this and they're shooting cougars. I started started a, a thing called the Cougar Fund to bring better awareness to cougars and their value and the fact that oftentimes female cougars get shot just like the bears are going to get shot and the kittens that are dependent on them for a year year and a half or longer uh, starve to death and then waiting for mom to come home. <laughs> Not very ethical in my in, in how I was brought up and my dad would roll over in his grave to to know that people are shooting animals that they don't eat, animals that aren't really sportingly hunted and, and for a trophy. You know, it's just, I grew up differently, and it's sad that this 2018 that, you know, we're killing these magnificent animals basically for recreation. Well, and you know that hunting, by and large, funds conservation efforts in North America. I mean, I think uh, 5% of the population are hunters, and they attribute over $200 million a year just in license sales and like in Pittman Robertson dollars. So I guess the the, the question is if well, if, there's a lot of you know that that that's a bit of a I've heard that so many times and and it's an excuse for them to have the right to kill. In a way, uh, we've spent fifty million dollars trying to save grizzly bears over the years and the game of fish and and there's an awful lot of money being contributed to conservation by other by other groups and other people and not just hunters and, and that's an old standby line that they use and my dad even used when we bought duck stamps he said that we you know we help with the, help with saving marshes and stuff which is true i'm not taking it away but it's not it's not just hunters that provide money for conservation and saving of species and in, in the case of wyoming the thing we spent 50 million dollars recovering these bears well the reality is that two or three million dollars is spent every year in wyoming on tourism and mostly people going to teton park to see bears if you compare two or three million billion dollars to fifty million dollars, uh, and this would be annually the billion, uh, it's a drop in the bucket. But they don't have the right. They don't have the, you know, they have no no right because they, if they recover them, then we're going to turn around, take them off the endangered species list, and a year later kill them. I mean, that is just that you don't buy wild animals. You don't buy. Uh, animals like bears and cougars, and then have the right to shoot them. We all have the right to enjoy them, and a hunter will get to shoot the bear or a cougar steals the right from the rest of the public who have the same right uh, to enjoy those those animals on the landscape alive. And I've seen bear jams with 399, that's with 500 people. Well, you take that, you take the number of people that have the right and enjoy these animals alive, and then compare it to a hunter who shoots that animal, it's basically robbing all the rest of those people, the public, of the experience to enjoy the animal. There's something wrong with that. Why would a state or a federal wildlife agency say these bears are recovered? We now have more than you know a stable population. It's expanding. Uh, we've seen it with wolves. Uh, you, you've spent a lot of time in Yellowstone. I mean, we know that the moose population has been completely decimated, all-time lows. And that trend, all you have to do is go look at a chart, and it'll tell you it started in '94 when the wolves were reintroduced. So why, why, when these wildlife agencies say, "Okay, 
we now have too many bears for the carrying capacity. What what's what is so wrong with them taking hunters taking 1.5 percent of the total population annually if it's reproducing faster than that? You know. Well, it's a fairly long explanation, but uh, there are a number of well-known David Matson who studied bears and cougars for uh, his total professional life. Who knows probably more about bears than than most, and as much as any uh, fish and wild, he worked for the USGS. And um, he says that it is not true that they have expanded to all the range that has food. They've lost a lot of their food, like white bark pine, so they're expanding. It's not their their population is is uh, exploding. It's that the, the loss of food, like white bark pine nuts, which is very important, especially to females, because they're high elevation trees, and they, because of climate change, it doesn't get cold enough to kill the, the pine beetles. So those trees are. Uh, all uh, effectively all dead, so that food source is gone. Cutthroat trout are pretty much gone from the rivers in Yellowstone because the lake trout were introduced in, in Yellowstone Lake, so that's a food source that's gone. So the bears are expanding, not because the population is, is getting out of hand, but because you know the food sources are, are, are getting less. When you talk about moose being decimated by wolves, other biologists would say that's not true. Moose have gotten a number of diseases and have been dying off from these diseases that we didn't have 20 years ago, and just like chronic wasting disease and brucellosis and, and a number, you know, hoof rot and, and the scabies and mange and you know half dozen uh, diseases on the elk refuge kill a lot of elk every year because they're packed into these small small places. So uh, the game and fish is mandated by. Uh, their uh, charter, whatever, to provide hunting opportunity for uh, their constituents, which is the hunters. So when I asked Dan Thompson, the, the lead carnivore uh, biologist, uh, the other night at a, at a forum for, uh, in, in town here, he said, you know, it, I said, why are you killing these animals that you're going to orphan cubs? And there's no real reason to kill them. You know, they, they talk about populations and all that. And there's people who can debunk that. That uh, so he said, well, in reality, it's for recreation. We are mandated to provide hunting opportunity for our constituents, the hunters. So that's the answer. It's not the numbers. It's, it's, and then you don't take into the consideration that these are sentient beings. These are intelligent beings. They have emotions just like us. They feel pain. They feel loss of cubs. Three nine nine picked up a dead cub that's hit by a car in her mouth and took it, it took it into the woods and ran up and down the highway bawling. I mean, the sense of bawling like a bear balls, not a child, but it sounds somewhat similar. And it'd be like a mother losing her child and her, missing her child in Walmart. And the same reaction, and, and we have to look at that as a society, as a culture, that these animals are sentient, they feel the emotions. They're not just numbers. They're not like they say we harvest you know, we're going to harvest a number because we think there's enough. Well, that's not a good excuse. You know, harvest is something you do with corn. I grew up in Nebraska, and you harvest corn, wheat, barley. You don't harvest animals. You kill animals. And if you kill them for fun and for recreation, and you're leaving oftentimes orphaned offspring, that is not ethical. Well, no, that isn't ethical, and that's why, you know, hunters by and large don't do that. Um before I went to Montana, I had to take a course on identification. And I could tell you without a shadow of doubt, 
that I knew the difference between a black bear and a grizzly, and I wasn't going to be shooting a female with cubs uh, of a black bear anyway. And and I think every hunter out there worth their salt feels the same way. So you keep going back to that orphaning cubs thing, and I just don't see it as that big of a deal. We'll just have to wait and see how it goes. I did want to ask you, though, if you, since you're going to be hunting with a camera, does that quota, I mean, so you don't harvest a bear, does that roll over to the next guy? I mean, is, are you really going to save a bear is a question I'm trying to ask by not hunting it. Well, they basically have one through 11 in, in that area. And so you have 10 days, have one person in the field for 10 days. And then if that person gets a bear the first day, then it goes to number two. And if that person, maybe it'll take him eight days that he gets a bear, then they go to number three. And the next person comes along uh, uh, and doesn't get a bear, hunts 10 days. And pretty soon, uh, theoretically, uh, either you could shoot 11 bears or maybe only, you know, the season runs out or don't have, you know, it goes from September 15th to uh, into November. Every hunter has 10 days to, quote, kill a bear, or in my case, photograph a bear. And it's not a quota system like they are on cougars, and you, you know, there's just an opportunity that if a cougar runs across the path of a hunter while he's deer hunting, you can shoot the cougar if he has a tag. And again, that's pretty random, doesn't know whether it has kittens in a den or not. And that whole, that kind of hunting is, is not uh, how I grew up, and I don't think that's what, you know, how we should be doing it. I think it's giving. I think it's giving a really black, you know, to the, again what was once a really a great uh, tradition of sport hunting. I don't think the, these kinds of, and I know a lot of hunters uh, feel just like I do that they, there's no way that they want to shoot a bear or, or a cougar and uh, do it do it for a trophy and and not eat the meat and you know have the opportunity a huge opportunity or a chance that they're going to orphan offspring. I don't know. I've heard cougar meat's good. Well, eat your try eating your house cat and see what it tastes like. <laughs> I don't know anybody. I mean, yeah, there there are people who eat the heart of the cougar, and I've heard all this stuff. You know, it's it's such a, a you know not many people eat them if any, but okay, fine. They, they maybe grind the meat up in a bunch of pork and burger and make sausage out of it. Yeah, probably tastes okay, but they're not shooting it for meat; they're shooting it for trophies. What about black bears? Uh, I know you've spent a lot of time just, you know, as a byproduct of all the time you spent with the grizzlies. I mean, there's lots of black bear in that area as well. Uh, they are overpopulated in a lot of the country to the point where, you know, like game and fish departments have to go in and remove problem bears. Uh, do you think hunters should be hunting black bear? Well, there's there's places where hunters are hunting them with dogs, which I don't think is, is sporting. And in Wyoming, they hunt uh, over big... 50-gallon drums of, of rotten meat, roadkills, donuts, uh, you know, different kinds of oils and scents they put in them, and they set them out in areas where black bears are, and uh, by, you know, dozens and dozens of these barrels and each of the outfitters, and, and this is all about money, you know, so much of it's about money. The outfitters have a, a really good opportunity to... to um, uh, guide a hunter to kill a, kill a black bear or it would be, you know, a cougar or in this case, a grizzly bear. But, uh, but you know, and then the outfitters are supported by the by the sportsmen for fish and wildlife. The sportsmen for fish and wildlife are, are uh, supported by Safari International. Safari International is supported by the NRA. So it basically comes down to the NRA on down to the game of fish who pretty much... Uh, 
uh, are somewhat um, ruled by those groups. But back to the black bears in this state, they put these rotten, these big barrels of rotten meat in the black bear in the springtime when the bears are coming out of the den. And, you know, the bear hasn't eaten for three or four months, so they smell just these rotten uh, pieces of meat and, and they run to the barrel. And the guy's sitting, you know, 20 yards away with a high-powered rifle and shoots a black bear point blank. So he's baiting it with human food, which we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to leave a candy bar or chocolate bar or a picnic table. You know, fed bear is a dead bear. And, and that's the motto. And so that's, you know, that's the real hypocritical thing. But uh, that is not sporting. They have camera traps set along these trails from, say, a den site or different trails and see which which bear comes to the, to the bait. And they, they can monitor it and see, well, is that a big one or is that a female or is that a small one? And it's so sophisticated that, you know, the bear doesn't have a damn chance. And, you know, to, to bait a bear in the springtime that's just coming out of the den, it, it's, it's pretty sick, to be honest. I, uh, I certainly appreciate your time today. It's been a good conversation, and uh, I appreciate you making time for us. You're very welcome. I appreciate your interest, and uh, thanks for calling me. Yeah. And uh, if you do want to plug your uh, your gallery, where can folks find your your uh, your images? And I mean, you've got four decades of, of work I'm sure people could check out. Well, uh, probably the best place to go is www.mangelson.com, M-A-N-G-E-L-S-E-N.com, and there they list all the galleries and uh, um, my prints and and um, history and things like that. So that's probably the best place. And what? How would you say your photography has like most impacted conservation over the years? Well, a lot of people don't have an opportunity to get out in the wild, uh, especially in cities sometimes. And and hopefully my images bring, um, you know, kind of the wild maybe into their homes or in their, on their iPads or whatever it might be. And it gives people pleasure and maybe uh, understanding of, of uh, issues like what we we're just talking about, you know, bear hunting. And there are uh, many other issues. Obviously, the lack of habitat is is important and i i not only take pictures uh for a living but i also try to give back to those that i've photographed in the sense that i try to protect habitat and speak out for species that are, are getting a short shifted like these animals again and uh in my opinion and um i i um often donate to conservation organizations and to people like Jane Goodall and uh, do fundraisers and and donate a fair amount of money and and uh, uh, my prints to uh, many conservation organizations from the Nature Conservancy to Jane Goodall Institute to to um, at the Wilderness Society or whatever to you know help them spread the word that these were precious resources and you know we should respect um, the wildlife and the wild places. Well, very cool. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again for your time. You're welcome much, Gibble. I appreciate it. All right. There he goes. Renowned wildlife photographer, Tom Mangelson. And uh, talk about having to bite your tongue. I wanted to say so much, but I uh, wanted to be respectful and really try to understand where 
someone like that is coming from. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I do appreciate Tom coming on. I will pick apart that interview here in the next segment. We'll go back and uh, really focus on a few of the things that he said. Oh, there was so much said in there that I, that I have an issue with, but uh, we will hit on some of the ones that really stood out. There are so many red flags in that conversation, and we will break them down next. Uh, that segment, by the way, was proudly brought to you by Overstocks and Bargains, your discount ammunition supplier. Go over to overstocksandbargains.com. Use my promo code LONESTAR. When you order your ammunition and you'll save 10% off your entire order. We all stick around up next. We'll put a bow on this thing, wrap it up real nice. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable here for iSocialBoost.com, a tool that many outdoor enthusiasts are using to grow their Instagram audiences. And if you're growing your Instagram audience, you're growing your brand. I recently let iSocialBoost.com take over a new page I created, and the growth has been incredible. iSocialBoost can help you expand your audience to heights you never imagined. Plus, you'll save 80%, that's right, 80% off your first week if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com. These are real followers who engage on a regular basis. Check it out, iSocialBoost.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Every time that I play this old guitar I wish I was still playing it for you Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. There's a little Paul Eason for you today. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to DSC as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. It is great to be here talking outdoors with you as we've had a, a pretty interesting conversation here today with photographer Tom Mangelson who drew one of the coveted Wyoming grizzly bear tags and uh, did it with the full intention of not hunting. Really, he did it to protest and take that tag out of the hands of a hunter and hopefully, in his mind, save the life of a grizzly. Uh, we heard his take on the whole situation and now I'm going to go back and uh, play some of the clips that really stood out for me that I have serious issue with. I mean, obviously, fundamentally, uh, I take issue with most of what he said. Um, one thing that I wish I would have asked Tom is whether or not he feels photographers should have to buy a license to photograph wildlife. Because I damn sure think they should, especially if, I mean, He's made a mint, a lot of money off of his photographs. And uh, I'm not saying he's exploiting wildlife. He's not. Um, and he's very good at what he does. His photos are amazing. But 
I mean, if I have to buy a tag to harvest, and yes, it is called harvesting, Tom, uh, an animal, then he should have to buy a license or some kind of photography tag to make a living off of their likeness. Uh, so it's a hmm, kind of a catch-22 there for me. This segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. If you're looking for a game changer to get after the hogs or varmints under the cover of darkness, check out the Pulsar Trail. Not only does it offer the most crystal clear thermal imaging on the market, it also has an internal recording device so you can actually capture the footage of your hunt right there through your thermal scope. And then you can uh, download it from the scope to your computer directly. It's that easy. It's the Pulsar Trail, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. All right, uh, well, let's go ahead and, and start playing some of these clips from our discussion with Tom, and uh, we'll start with the first one that I flagged right now. A lot of people applied that, that I know, including Jane Goodall, who's a friend of mine, and, and they realize that they're such magnificent animals. That... Okay, that, that's the first mistake right there. Every animal, in my opinion, is magnificent, from the grizzly bear to the smallest hummingbird that beats its wings 60 times per second. That's freaking magnificent as well. And we have this mentality in today's society that just because something's big doesn't mean that we should hunt it, which is total crap. It's like a giraffe in Africa or an elephant. Uh, you know, hunting is conservation. Sustainable use hunting is conservation. It doesn't matter how big or small the animal is. Next clip. And one particular family that I uh, became attached to in Teton Park and just 10 miles from my house. Okay, so there Tom is referencing Grizzly 399, uh, which the thing about his relationship with these bears is that he's humanized them. And in today's society, I call it the Disney effect, where you see these cartoons, they humanize all of the characters in their films. Uh, if they're an animal, they are humanized. And our society has taken that and run with it, which a lot of it is because so few people actually experience those wild places anymore and, and are trapped in the concrete jungle. And, and that perception is their reality, that animals are just like people. But you and I know that that is, uh, you know, you're living in the twilight zone at that point. Uh, moving on to the next comment. This first grizzly bear in Teton Park for 50 years, more or less. Okay, so all of a sudden bears show up in a place they haven't been for 50 years. To me... That says that they're expanding their range, and it's odd to me how Tom doesn't grasp the fact that if bears are showing up in places that they haven't been in 50 years, that they're expanding their range, and they're probably doing quite well across the board. Theory is she felt better along the roads or more safe along the roads with people than she did in the backcountry with uh, males that might kill her cubs and then... Uh, put her into estrus, and then he would breed with, with her, and that's kind of a common thing with, with bears. Yes, Tom, that is a common thing with bears and uh, some other large predators as well. Mature males will try to kill the offspring of females so that they can breed with them. And if we're out there as hunters trying to harvest only mature males, then it's not hard to figure out that we're actually helping the long-term population trend of that species. 
the same thing's going to happen with this bear hunter proposing is there's females are going to get shot and there's no way in hell they're going to train uh, somebody that's a layman uh, from say Nebraska, like where my state is or Texas or New Jersey, uh, the difference and they're not going to be able, hunters aren't going to wait and see if they're, you know, a female has uh, cubs or not, if if they're not right next to her. And I can't tell the difference uh, cable from a, 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 female from a, a male after all the thousands of bears I've seen and watched in all these years that I've watched them from Alaska to British Columbia to Montana to Yellowstone and Teton Park. So it, it's just impossible. Well, that's disappointing for someone who's studied bears and photographed them as long as Tom has because there's guides in Alaska and the Yukon that can tell you on you know the drop of a hat whether a bear is a sow or a boar and of course as hunters we're looking at these bears through spotting scopes most of the time that's how we find them so to say that we don't study them before deciding to come up with a plan to put a stock on them is complete garbage Uh, you will know without a shadow of doubt that that is either a boar or a sow and if you can't tell the difference you're going to know whether it has cubs because you're going to watch that bear for a long time. This isn't an opportunistic hunt where you just wander into the freaking woods and shoot the first bear that you run into. You, more likely, that bear is going to maul your ass if you stumble onto a bear. Uh, so that isn't even how bear hunting works. Next clip. Yes, I grew up in Nebraska hunting ducks, geese, pheasants, and grouse and things. And we, my family basically lived a lot on, on wild game meat and enjoyed it. So this is what really irks me. It's like the the meat eater who will order a hamburger at McDonald's but then shame you for going out there and killing a white-tailed deer for food. It makes no sense how you can say we need to manage the ungulates of uh, a population but we don't touch the predators that prey on those ungulates that we're managing. Uh, you have to manage all of them. That's, that's the way conservation works. I come from a, a, a long line of uh, hunting and sportsmen, and I hate to see what's happening to the the you know the tradition of sport hunting when things like this and they're shooting cougars. They sort of oftentimes female cougars get shot, just like the bears are going to get shot, and the kittens that are dependent on them for a year year and a half or longer uh, starve to death and then waiting for mom to come home. Cougars that are a year and a half old are with mom on the hunt. They are not sitting in a den by themselves. And uh, as someone who spent three weeks chasing freaking mountain lions in Colorado with dogs, I can tell you firsthand that the outfitter will have the cougar sexed before it's ever in the tree, nine out of ten times. And if he doesn't know the sex, because he can tell by the size of the paw, uh, if he doesn't have it figured out already, he will climb that tree and look and wait to figure it out. Uh, I've seen it. We've caught five lions every time. Uh, he climbed up there and sexed it, and every time he already knew what it was. To be honest with you, uh, just he was just double checking. So, once again, not holding a lot of water with me, uh, and this thing that you know hunters are out there killing sows and and females with cubs or kittens is just a load of crap. Does it happen every once in a while? Absolutely, yes, it does. But it is so far from the norm that I mean, the claims it's just ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Next clip. of the population are hunters and they attribute 
over two hundred million dollars a year just in license sales and like in Pittman Robertson dollars. So I guess the 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 question is if well, if, there's a lot of you know that that that's a bit of a I've heard that so many times and and it's an excuse for them to have the right to kill. In a way, uh, we've spent fifty million dollars trying to save grizzly bears over the years and the game of fish and and there's an awful lot of money being contributed to conservation by other by other groups and other people and not just hunters and, and that's an old standby line that they use and no 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 that is not accurate did you hear him try to dispute the fact that hunters dump over 200 million dollars a year just from license sales and Pittman robertson dollars that doesn't include conservation organizations like ducks unlimited delta waterfowl wild whitetail unlimited uh pheasants forever wild turkey federation you name it uh and then where is he coming up with these other dollars we he, he said quote we've spent 50 million dollars trying to save the grizzly no you haven't we have the hunters are the ones that raised that money you enjoyed the byproduct of our investment into conservation you didn't spend crap and anti-hunters and non-hunters didn't spend jack you know what so don't try to sell me that line that uh, oh we've invested all this money no you didn't we did you're welcome, by the way, Tom. Uh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Uh, all right, <laughs> next clip here. You take a number of people that have the right and enjoy these animals alive, and then compare it to a hunter who shoots that animal, it's basically robbing all the rest of those people, the public, of the experience to enjoy that animal. There's something wrong with that. Tom, I like wildlife more than anyone out there. So do our listeners. I mean, when I'm sitting in a deer stand, if a buck walks out and I get a shot at him, that's great. But that is so far from what the hunt is actually about. And I think that's lost on the anti-hunting, non-hunting crowd. Um, we are the biggest fans of wildlife on the planet. That's why we fund it. And if the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service deems that we have a surplus of bears and that it's going to start adversely affecting the overall vitality of the population then hunters will step up and we will take advantage of the opportunity to harvest one. All right, let's keep rolling here. So the bears are expanding, not because the population is, is getting out of hand, but because, you know, the food sources are, are, are getting less. I, I honestly don't understand how people can believe some of the things that come out of their own mouths. Uh, the reason why food is scarce is because there's too many freaking bears. You've reached carrying capacity. <laughs> I mean, there's really nothing else to say on that front. Moving on. When you talk about moose being decimated by wolves, moose have gotten a number of diseases and have been dying off from these diseases that we didn't have 20 years ago. And just like chronic wasting disease and brucellosis and, and a number, you know, hoof rot and, and the scabies and mange and, you know, half dozen uh, diseases. I just feel sorry. Uh, for a lot of people at this point when they can't connect the dots on wolf reintroduction in 1994 as I explained before Tom made that comment uh, you can look at the moose population chart year by year of Yellowstone and in 1994 when wolves were reintroduced it started to go downhill and it is now at rock bottom and you know what else feeds on moose calves grizzly bears uh, just FYI that is a favorite food source of grizzlies uh so don't sell me on all these diseases that we just suddenly 
found out about in the last 20 years and that's why most numbers are down? No. It's because there's an overabundance of predators. Let's see what else we've got here. You know, harvest is something you do with corn. I grew up in Nebraska, and you harvest corn, wheat, barley. You don't harvest animals. You kill animals. And if you kill them for fun and for recreation, and you're leaving oftentimes orphaned offspring, that is not ethical. Goodness gracious. We're back on the orphaned offspring thing. Oh, my God. I mean, we purposely have our hunting season set up so that we don't orphan offspring. We don't hunt white-tailed deer during the summertime. You see what I'm saying? It's, I mean, it's just stupidity. Uh, but back to what he said before that, regarding the word harvest, uh, yeah, some people might harvest corn or grain or whatever, uh, some things that grow out of the soil. I harvest things that walk on the soil. And whether I harvest them for meat or for their fur or for a trophy, it is still harvesting. And you can actually look at First Nation treaties that Canada signed with tribes such as the Matisse and the Inuit, and it uses the word harvest, and it refers to taking of wild game for whatever use you deem appropriate. It's just one more thing, and and here we are. I'm, I'm beating this guy up, and the reason why is because he's in the limelight. Uh, he drew the tag, and Tom is a smart guy. I certainly appreciate him coming on and, and respect what he had to say. I don't agree with really anything that he said, but I respect his right to believe what he believes. But I digress. Uh, let's move on to uh, the next comment here that I flagged. Well, eat your, try eating your house cat and see what it tastes like. So now we're comparing mountain lions to Mr. Whiskers. It's uh, <laughs> I've eaten mountain lion, and I didn't want to jump in there. And like I said, y'all, I had to bite my tongue just to keep that interview going because I don't, you don't want to insult someone while they're on your show. Um, now I can go back and, you know, do what we're doing right here. <laughs> Essentially say that's incorrect, that's false, that's a bunch of BS, a bunch of hogwash, this, that, and the other. Uh, but I, I ate my entire mountain lion, including the heart, and it was great. I've eaten lynx. It was good, too. So to compare it to cat, once again, your domestic cat has a name. It's a pet. Mountain lions are just another animal out there. All they're trying to do is kill and not be killed. That's the way nature works. And you know what? They're pretty damn tasty. Uh, last comment here that I'm going to uh, harp on. And this is going to blow your mind, but uh, take a listen to this one. You might have already flagged it earlier. This one, uh, wow. The outfitters are supported by the by the Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife. The Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife are, are uh, supported by Safari International. Safari International is supported by the NRA. So it basically comes down to the NRA on down to the game and fish who pretty much uh, ruled by those groups do what now i'm the nra is now responsible for the grizzly bear hunt (laughs) good lord i just don't get it uh and, and there's really nothing else to say at this point other than this is what we are up against friends this is what these are the thoughts that make a non hunter apply for the first grizzly bear hunt in 44 years in an attempt to thwart hunters 
from practicing sustainable use hunting, which is, at its core, at its definition, conservation. What is not conservation is what Tom and anyone else who doesn't support the grizzly bear hunt are interested in. And and I would say that they're more environmentalists. They think that they are practicing conservation. They're not. Because conservation stems from money. Money, money, money. If it pays, it stays. And make no mistake about it, the anti and the non-hunters are not helping it stay because they are not paying. When they step up, when they start paying, which they might have to do eventually because, you know what, hunters are now at 4.4% of the overall population of adults in our country. Think about that. 4.4% of people are funding conservation for everyone else. Something's got to give. Either more people have to start hunting or all of these yuppies are going to have to up their game and actually be a part of the solution instead of the problem. So we will see where it goes uh, because we truly are in the most trying times that we've ever faced as a hunting community. And that isn't going to change. So hopefully folks will start helping us out and, uh, and maybe we can educate them and help them see the light that we love animals more than they do. If we didn't, we wouldn't spend a hundred, 150, 200 days in the great outdoors, not just hunting, but taking in everything that the good Lord has created for us to enjoy and harvest. So, Oh, man, that segment of the show was proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. I just put up the big chingone on the deer lease to help me harvest a big white-tail buck this season. That's right. Uh-huh. And uh, Henry absolutely loves this thing. I mean, it's got room for me, Henry, both of the twins. All four of us can fit in there comfortably. It's got cup holders. It's got shelves. It's got it all. Windows for both archery and rifle hunting it's the big chingone and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com unfortunately we are out of time gotta go gotta get out of here uh different kind of format for today's show hope that didn't rub anyone the wrong way i like i said think it was uh worth doing and we'll get back to uh the normal routine next week Stay tuned on social media. I'll be leaking out what's going to be on next week's show, but it's going to be a good one. And if the term uh, green decoy means anything to you, you want to make sure you're tuned in for that. Uh, Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have an awesome week, and I do mean awesome week in the great outdoors. There's a farm reply when I'm